0: The most ingenious corporate logo I have ever seen is also one of the simplest. The silhouette of an apple with a bite taken out of it. So very clever. While also being frank and honest, it speaks volumes about apple products. First of all, as the serpent implies to Eve, The implication is that in taking a bite and purchasing one of these items, (laughs) your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will have access to knowledge you had never dreamed of. And you know, the serpent and Steve Jobs were both right. (laughs) Secondly, The Apple logo slyly admits that its products are temptations and invites us to give in to them, to spend $1,000 on the new iPhone 11 Pro, which I am this close to buying, (laughs) or $2,800 on the new 16-inch MacBook Pro laptop, or whatever other shiny new thing they are hawking this year to the point that these products have come to feel like a necessity to most of us, and not a luxury. The implication of this logo is that you are giving in to a delicious temptation, perhaps even a sinful one. And these products are so sleek and sexy. I will be the first to admit that I could not live without my apple gizmos, even in the pulpit. (laughs) So when I think to myself... How could Adam and Eve have been so dumb to give in to biting a simple apple? When God was very clear in the instructions given, I realized that our version of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would have looked different. Red delicious apples, I can take or leave. But a tree filled with ripened iPhone 11 Pros <laughs> would be hard to pass up. Or think of your favorite food hanging on that tree, tantalizingly forbidden forever, while lesser variations of food hang from the trees all around it. For me, it would be like God saying, you can go ahead and eat your fill from these plain almond biscotti trees or these dry Mexican pan dulce bushes with no coffee to dip them into. But whatever you do, do not pluck off from this particular tree one of these sumptuous, soft, warm, and fresh-from-the-oven cinnamon rolls. (laughs) With their frosting glistening in the sunlight and literally dripping down onto the grass below. I would have shoved Eve out of the way. (laughs) And I'm sure you all have your own versions of this temptation tree. Branches filled with low-hanging self-indulgences, fancy cars, cute outfits, new books you've just gotta have, or whatever baubles you collect. We all have our tree of temptation growing in the center of the garden of our conscience, beckoning us to take a bite. Now I'm making light of all this, I realize. But I needed to joke around a bit before saying something pretty serious. Just to throw you off guard. (laughs) And that serious thing is this. While some temptations are harmless, the ones that take you away from your center as a good person, grounded in the teachings of Jesus, can be quite detrimental. To put it another way, I think the temptation that most plagues people like us is the sin of comfort and of being able to have whatever we want. Now, I promise not to get all scoldy on you today. After all, it's only the first week of Lent and I should save some of that for a few weeks from now. (laughs) But I invite you to ponder the ways in which your actions make you comfortable while your inaction indirectly brings suffering to others. And I am right there with you. I take multiple trips to Europe each year and I drive 2,000 miles every month between work and home in my car, making my own healthy contribution to the depletion of our ozone. We always have the story of the devil tempting Jesus in the desert on the first Sunday in Lent. Biblical scholars have many interpretations of this story. For me, this year, it is a reminder that following Christ means self-sacrifice. Ugh. (laughs) We are called to say no to the temptation of self-indulgence. After all, that bread that the tempter offered Jesus must have looked mighty delicious after 40 days of fasting. But Jesus said no to the temptations of pleasure. We are called to say no to the temptations of pride, Like when the devil asks Jesus to jump off the temple's ledge to prove that he's all that when the angels come to save him. But Jesus said no to the temptation of pride. And we are called to say no to the temptations of power. I'll give you dominion over everything you see if you'll just worship me and my evil ways, says the devil. But Jesus said no to the temptation of power. And this isn't just a story of how tough Jesus is. It's a call to us to resist those temptations that take us away from our center in God. The do something else on Sunday mornings temptation. The I'll pass on helping out with this church service project too temptation. What we are called to do looks a little more like what's at the other end of Lent on Good Friday. Maybe not that drastic, But self sacrifice for the benefit of others. Much as I would like to squirm my way out of that particular charge as a Christian, it is central to our faith. It's why we exist in this world that doesn't care. How are you in your life giving in to the temptations of comfort or self indulgence that might keep you from seeing the suffering of other children of God? I realize suffering feels pretty insurmountable in our world today, but what are you doing to alleviate it for at least one person? Are you in your life letting pride be your guiding principle when dealing with others? Do you always need to be right? Or could you try on a humbler perspective where there exists the possibility that someone else has knowledge or experiences you cannot fathom? The undocumented immigrant the Republican voter? Can you let down your guard and consider another's viewpoint even if it seems unreasonable, irrational, and perhaps learn humility from that? And how are you automatically, not maliciously, how are you benefiting from the power that has been bestowed on you because of your place in this society? And what is your attitude towards those who have little power around you? It is perhaps your misfortune to have a rector that can't seem to pass up an opportunity to let you know you're not doing enough. Who can't just take a story like the good old temptation in the desert and theologize it into a spiritual lesson that can go down easy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just not that smart. I didn't do that well in my theology classes. And what I keep seeing time and again in these sacred texts is an indictment of how I myself live. And if I can share that indictment with you, I can share my guilt too. (laughs) Honestly, um, at this very point of writing this sermon yesterday, I took a break and literally went shopping online for an espresso machine. I had this 10-year-old clunky monster of a Keurig coffee maker at home. And the hotel we stayed in in Bath, England last week had a cute little Nespresso that made a delicious drink. And when I was online, I was like, do I want the blue one or the red one that costs a little more than the basic black? And I did all that shopping even as I was writing a screed telling you that your preference for comfort and self-indulgence is part of the problem. (laughs) So I'm right there with you. Believe me. While we were in England last week, William and I actively fantasized a life of retirement there. Which, don't worry, I'm only 53 years old. (laughs) Alas. But we asked our classmates in the Bible course we took in Salisbury where they thought we should live. Oh, we want somewhere with a cathedral, I said, where we can attend Evensong every night and hear a glorious choir sing. And I pictured us in Canterbury, sitting in the pews and enjoying the liturgy, me never letting on that I'm a priest so that they don't ask me to do anything. Never volunteering for any service projects mentioned at announcements, just going home to our little hobbit bungalow, sitting by the fire, and reading all the books I've accumulated over the years and never had time to open. When I shared this fantasy with William, he just looked at me, saying, without words, so the luxury of complacency that you refuse to extend to your parishioners now is one you fully expect to be given then? Well, no. Here's the truth that you and I both need to hear. We are called to keep Christ's message alive today within our own context and with just a little bit more self-sacrifice. Whatever that means to you in your life, wherever you know, you can try a little harder. So, may this season of Lent Be one for us of prayerful courage, of self-giving love, and of discomfort for the sake of others. And may the faith God has already planted in us soon blossom and bear fruit in this world. Amen.